Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership Through Crisis series, where we will connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important questions to help us navigate these rough waters. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, go to masterleadership.org forward slash podcast. That's masterleadership.org forward slash podcast for more information. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Amir Rashidian. Holding a Bachelor of Science degree in Chemistry and Human Biology and a doctorate in Chiropractic, Dr. Rashidian is the founder of the Mid-Atlantic Chiropractic Center. Established in 2006 and serving over 18,000 patients annually, the Mid-Atlantic Chiropractic Center focuses on high-tech diagnostics to detect and correct disturbances in the nervous system. The doctors at the Mid-Atlantic Chiropractic Center promoting drugless health solutions work with patients to eliminate the causes of disease and not merely the suppression of symptoms. As a consultant, he has worked with 18 chiropractic practices, 16 of which were startup businesses that all reached profitability within the first three months of business launch. Dr. Rashidian attributes his success in opening practices to an intensive systematic marketing plan implemented three months prior to business launch. He has personally opened two very successful chiropractic practices. Dr. Rashidian's unique leadership style is rooted in the concept of the upside-down organization chart and in establishing a culture of reverse accountability. A very active speaker at corporate events, conventions, and churches, he is also frequently interviewed by the local TV, radio, and newspaper. Additionally, Amir serves on the board of directors for Habitat for Humanity and is a major financial supporter of their local building projects. He also serves as the chairman of the elder leadership team at Grace Community Church. He has won multiple honors and awards, including Business Leader of the Year and Philanthropist of the Year. He is happily married to his wife of 14 years, and together they have three sons. Welcome, Dr. Amir Rashidi, and how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I have my interesting time. So that question has a whole different meaning today than it did maybe a few months ago. Yes. So considering that we're doing well, I have my pandemic do going on. (laughs) That's right. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I would love to. Absolutely. Fantastic. Now tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. 
Sure. You know, it all started, I was nine years old and I decided I had to become a doctor. And the reason for that was because my father and I were traveling through these remote villages in Iran. As one village, a woman went into labor and she was having complications and a midwife came over and examined her and said, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. She's not going to live. There's no heartbeat. The baby's not alive. I'm very sorry. And she actually left as if this was something that happened on a regular basis in that village. And I remember looking into the eyes of this young woman who was just told she's going to slowly suffer and die in the next few hours and no one's going to help her. And I felt this anxiety, this deep pain in my chest. I was having trouble breathing and throat was all choked up and tears were filling up in my eyes and just a full-blown panic attack. My dad held me and carried me out of there and he calmed me down. The two of us climbed down the mountain. We got in our car to drive home. And on the drive home, I said, Dad, I don't want to feel like that ever again. You know, hopeless. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything about it. And Dad said, what are you going to do about it? I said, I'll go be a surgeon. I'll be the best surgeon in the whole world. I'll carry my bag with me everywhere I go, and I'll just save lives. That was the plan. Ten years later, I was a pre-med student at George Washington University, and I was getting ready to start the uh, early selection program to go into medical school early. And I went home for Christmas break. And I walked into our house, and we were living in the United States at that time. I walked into our home, and my dad had this big, thick, white neck brace on, and he was under the influence of some painkillers, and he couldn't lift his arms. He was limp and numb from the shoulders down. He couldn't even lift his arms to give me a hug to say hello. And so we ended up spending my Christmas break going from doctor to doctor trying to figure out what is wrong with my dad. And every doctor we went to ended up sending us to a different doctor saying, this is way beyond my scope. We ended up in this neurosurgeon's office. The neurosurgeon said, you needed surgery yesterday. There is so much degenerative change in your spine. There's bone spurs pushing into the spinal canal, narrowing the canal, pressing on your spinal cord. It's choking the life that flows from the brain to the rest of the body. We've got to decompress. My dad said, you know, I'm kind of afraid of surgery. What are you going to do? The surgeon said, we have to break and remove the bones in the back of your neck. We're gonna put these rods and screws in your neck. We're gonna fuse your whole neck. You'll never turn your head again. You may not even regain function of your hands, but we're hoping you'll have less pain. And by the way, there's a chance you're gonna die because you're old. Well, dad was 70 years old at the time. And it, you know, it really doesn't matter. There's such a thing as a young 70 and an old 70. You know, He was the older 70 because he hadn't taken good care of himself. But we talked to two other neurosurgeons who said the exact same thing. He needs surgery and it needs to be done right away. He said, go get your affairs in order. Come back in one week. We'll operate. We got a taxi to go home. And I was sitting in the back of the taxi carrying all my dad's x-rays and MRIs and CTs and charts. And I looked over at my dad and he was just cringing because every bump that taxi hit was sending a lightning bolt of pain through his entire body. And looking in his eyes, I could tell he didn't want to live anymore. And emotionally, I got transported right back to that village where I saw the woman slowly die in her husband's arms. Nobody could help her. And I'm feeling the same helplessness towards my dad, having this chest tightness and hearts beating really fast and throats all choked up and tears are filling up my eyes. And, you know, this taxi driver who was driving us, he looked at us in his rear view mirror and he said, sir, I noticed you're in a lot of pain. And I know you asked me to take you home, but there's this chiropractor right down the street. Would you rather me take you there? And I was a 19-year-old know-it-all, and I I said no. In medical school, right? 
Yeah, yeah, medical school. I was like, there's only two ways to get better, drugs and surgery. There's nothing else, you know. But dad was smart and wise enough to say, let's go try it. So we pulled up to this chiropractor's office. The chiropractor took a look at my dad, looked at all those x-rays and MRIs I was carrying in, and he said, listen, let's try it. Let's work on you. Well, you know, it took six months of dad going into that office every day, six days a week for six months, dad went in there. But at the end of those six months, my dad was able to use his hands. He was able to do everything he wanted to do. He lived to be 88 years old and he lived long enough to stand next to me as my best man when I got married. He lived long enough to meet my first son when he was born. And I'm so grateful that I got to have those extra 18 years with my dad. And the reason I tell the story and how this is what my path to leadership started is this. This is what leadership is. It's that when you take care of you and your own health, you're preventing your family members from suffering and hurting. And when you do it, you also set the example for others to follow. So I ended up going and becoming a chiropractor. And I use that story and I tell people, I say, you know, when my dad was sick, when he was hurting, when he was suffering, was he the only one who suffered? No, everybody who loved him suffered. And then I say, when you don't take care of your health, when you're not the leader you're supposed to be, who else suffers? Mm -hmm. So don't do this just for you. It's not a selfish thing. It's a selfless thing. You know what? It's easy not to improve. It's easy not to work for becoming a better person, to improving your health, your mental state, your emotional state. It's easy to let it go. It's hard to do the right thing and get better and healthier and stronger and wiser so you can serve others. Because, you know, what everybody wants from you is a better you. Wow. And, you know, Amir, not only are you a great leader, you're a great storyteller. Thank you. You should write a book. Well, I did that. I know. <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> so, so the first book is called The Stress-Proof Life. And, uh, and it's all about the concept that your focus should be not to avoid stress. Your focus should be, let me get stronger and more resilient in the face of stress. Because how healthy you are is dependent on how much stress you can handle. If I can only handle this much stress, the minute my stress level goes above that, I'm going to get sick. But if my potential, my adaptive potential of stress is really high, then I can handle all this stress and I won't get sick. So you take that one step further, your level of success in life also depends on how much stress you can handle. If you can't handle being the leader of three people in your family, how can you expect to lead 10 people? How can you expect to lead 30 people? So you've got to increase your ability to handle stress. And so the entire book is about that. So I just finished writing the second book. And the second book took the same information and just took it to the next level. And that one is called Tame Your Stress Monkey. And Tame Your Stress Monkey has got more stories, more information, more up-to-date data on how to handle the stress how to use that quote-unquote stress monkey so that instead of it wreaking havoc in your life, it actually helps you, gives you strength. like having a helper that's going to get you through life better and you'll succeed and do more. And where can we get your book? Well, the first one's available on Amazon right now. The second one, I don't know when it'll get published and we're kind of exploring that right now. But you'll let us know. Hopefully soon. Yes, I will definitely let you know. Fantastic. Now, at the time of this interview, we're experiencing a global pandemic. How has that affected you, your organization, your family? I want to say this one thing. You know, initially, obviously, we all panicked. 
you know, oh my goodness, what's going on? They're telling everybody to stay home, what's gonna happen with our business and so on. So one really positive for just my field of chiropractic is that the federal government, the state government all said, chiropractors are essential infrastructure workers they need to stay open. So that was good. So we got to stay open and there were a lot of people who still needed our help. So our numbers did drop. Our practice did decrease a little bit, but for the most part, we were able to continue to serve. We go out of our way to make sure everything's sterilized and clean and we wear the masks and everything else to make gloves and masks and all that stuff protect the patients, make sure this virus doesn't continue to spread. So that was a big effect. The other thing was we can't have friends over anymore. We can't hang out with people anymore. That's really, really tough. So at least, thank goodness, I have some human interaction when I come to work. You know, I don't get to see my patient's smiles anymore because it's covered with the mask. That's very sad. But at well, least- you know what? It has opened the door to innovations. I've seen masks that are clear in the middle where you can see a smile. Brilliant. Yeah, we need more of those. We got to figure out. But you know what? We can't hug. And hugs are so important. There's so much, so much health. Do we have time for me to tell you about a little study that was done? Let's do it. You told me you were going to ask me about social distancing. And I love that question. It's about that. Can we jump into that? Let's jump into that. You had brilliantly, beautifully said words are important. Words matter. Words are significant. Words change our psyche. Words change our heart words change our chemical makeup and our hormonal balance changes just by a word. I can say a terrible word instantly and people will have a whole host of different reactions physiologically. Social distancing is not healthy for us. Physical distancing, like you said, this, these are your words. I'm just quoting you. You said, why don't we call it physical distancing so that we don't socially isolate ourselves? I love that. So here's why what you said is so important and brilliant. A study was done many years ago called the Agouti Mice Experiment. And they took these mice and they gave them cancer. Now, I wrote about this in my book, but this one part I'm going to share with you, I didn't write in the book. They gave them toxins, they injected cancer cells into their body, and they gave them cancer. And these mice, because they had been inbred, genetically they were identical. So they could predict, hey, within 28 days, they're going to have 14 tumors in their body. And within 90 days, they're going to die. And they knew this cycle. So they could really experiment this. So one of the things they did was they gave them the cancer. And they waited the 28 days till their tumors showed up. And then this time, they took them out of isolation. And they put them with the other mice and socialized with the other mice. And all of them recovered. Their tumors shrank and they went away and they were healed. It was that social distancing that was causing them to get worse. And that was one part of it. And the experiment was brilliant. There was other things that came out of that, but that was one of the outcomes. So when we isolate ourselves too much, we're going to give ourselves illness, sickness, and disease. We have to find a way to overcome that. I think these Zoom calls and Zoom meetings and video conferencing, that's a plus, that's a benefit. Hopefully, Things will change and improve soon. Yeah. And, you know, considering we're living in a good time because we can do that. Imagine if we couldn't. I mean, we could always call. Right. Different, right? So I love that you speak to that and how important words are. I'm just observing what will happen afterwards because it does that social distancing, that word has an effect on us. And I'm just kind of observing as to why. And and I want to counter... I'm in New York. New Yorkers typically don't say hello to strangers. <laughs> Every time I pass by a stranger, I have my mask. Hey, how are you? 
How's it going? So I make sure to do that. And I want to urge us to be mindful and not just walk down the street, you know, holding our cell phone or just in fear. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Want to make your voice stand out to prospective employers, clients, or partners? You don't have to be well-known to be a guest on Master Your Swag podcast. In fact, we provide you with all the tools you'll need to be featured and be ready to get noticed. Go to MasterYourSwag.com and claim your spot on Master Your Swag podcast. So, Amir, what resources, quotes, or advice has helped you during this crisis? Kind of similar to what you were just saying, which is, you know, say hi to people, socialize the best way you can. As a leader, one of the best advice I've heard is make sure you encourage your underperformers and make sure you give recognition to the high performers. I think in any team, whether your team is your family and you're talking just about your children, you know, you're talking about your siblings, you're talking about your parents, it doesn't matter. Always encourage, no matter what, praise good behavior, especially when you're leading a team. And then on the other side of it is we can't just always recognize everybody. You've got to select certain people who are setting the example because the minute you do that, the others want to be like that person. They want to lead like them. And so we've got to give recognition to the people who are going above and beyond, doing more than expected. And here's another bit of advice that I really love. You know, when I'm hiring new employees and we're constantly hiring because we're expanding and growing, we're getting ready to open more offices. And I always ask the question, this is for my higher level employees, you know, the the managers, the executives. I go, hey, listen, when it comes down to it at the very end of it, are you the kind of person who always does his best or are you the kind of person who will do whatever it takes? And I say it as a uh, afterthought, you know, as if the interview is done, I just want to know a little bit more about them. But I'm looking for the person who says, I'll do whatever it takes. Because when we say I did my best, we're giving an excuse. We're saying, hey, I fell short, but it was my best. Mm -hmm. So I can't do better than my best. Well, the world is filled with people who go above and beyond their perceived limits. They think they can only go this far. They can only lift this much. They can only do this much, but they go beyond that. And so I like the mentality of, hey, you know what? I'll figure it out. We'll do what it takes. If I need to do more, I'll do more. We'll do whatever it takes. So those are the two bits of advice that have helped me as a leader, as an organization. Fantastic. Now, the question is, what advice has helped you during this time, specifically? Oh, yeah. Let's drill down on that. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to tell you another story real quick. I was five years old. I was in the backseat of my parents' Datsun. I don't think anybody knows what a Datsun is, but... I do. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I'm aging myself. So am I. (laughs) Which is good. They became Nissan. So if you know Nissan... That used to be Dotson. So I'm in the back of the Dotson and five years old. We're driving to go to my friend's birthday party who was turning six years old. And we were in the busy streets of Tehran. We came around the corner and there was rioting. And that was the Islamic revolution that happened in Iran in 1979. And the country changed and our world turned upside down. But 
there was rioting, there were fires all around, there were police in riot gear with batons and tear gas, and there were people fighting, throwing rocks, knife fights, crazy scene, right? And then they were bumping into our car and so on, and my dad said, get down. I went down and I stayed down, and what I could see was my mom and dad's faces from down low, but I couldn't see what's going on outside. So I would look at them. If they were scared, if they were worried, I would be scared, I would worry. But if they looked calm and they said, everything's okay, I would be like, everything's going to be fine. You know, a couple of years later, the bombing started in Iran. So we would hear these air raid sirens and they would say, go to a bomb shelter. In fact, I remember the first time I was going to bed, my mom said, don't forget to turn on your radio before you go to bed. We all had these little transistor radios. We turn up the volume. There's no programming. It was silent. But a little after midnight, this loud siren blared through the radio. I jumped out of bed. I ran out with my family. We ran down the hallway, down the stairs to the basement of this building we were staying in at the time. And everybody else from the building was gathered down there. And then we heard this roar of this plane overhead. Then we heard the whistle of a bomb that had just been dropped. And this whistle is getting louder and louder as the bomb is getting closer and closer. It's so high pitched though, you can't tell where it is. It could be right over your head or it could be a block away. All you can do is wait, hope and pray that the bomb isn't gonna land on your head. And then we heard this big loud explosion, the walls shook, the lights flickered and we realized we were still alive. You know, Even during that time, who am I looking at as a child, seven year old child? I'm looking at my parents, looking at dad, does dad look worried? Does dad look scared? So here's the thing. We all have people who are looking up to us. If we're a leader during this pandemic, they're looking at us going, should I worry? Should I be scared? It's up to us to calm them. We're not supposed to feed them with a bunch of negative, scary data to say, oh, this is happening. That's it. We're supposed to say, listen, you come with me. I'll make sure we're okay. Do I look worried? I got this. Besides, you know what, Lily, I've, I've been through this before because we're supposed to stay home, right? Well, when the revolution happened and then the war started, we had military curfew. They said, if you come out of your house, we'll shoot you. Either we'll shoot you or the enemy will shoot you, but someone's going to shoot you. Well, this is not worse than that. We got through that. We can get through this. We are resilient. The American culture is all about resilience and overcoming. And we can overcome anything. We overcame the Great Depression. We had the flu epidemic back in uh, 1908 or whenever that was. And millions of people were dying from the flu. We overcame that. We overcame 9-11 when the towers fell. We overcame the crash in 2008. This is the next thing. We're going to overcome this. And you know what's nice is when we overcome it, we're going to be better off. Yeah. We're going to be stronger. We're going to be more ready. So here's one other piece of advice. As a leader, me to the audience right here. Listen, in this climate, who is surviving the virus? The people who have a strong immune system. It's the people who were healthy to begin with. Most of them don't even show symptoms, right? I guarantee you there's going to be another crisis. Just like who survived the crash in 2008? It was the people who had cash reserves. They weren't the people who were going paycheck to paycheck trying to financially make it. It was the people who had a stockpile of money that they had saved for a rainy day. They started using that. They survived. They were okay. But the other people, they lost their home. They lost relationships. They lost their retirement funds, all that stuff. 
those people are now thinking, I'm going to prepare. The people who survived the Great Depression, those who are alive today, they go, oh, save your money, save your money, save your That's all they talk about is save your money. Don't spend on this, don't spend on that. So they're ready for another Great Depression. Well, now I want everybody listening to this to start right here, right now, today. Boost your immune system. Get stronger. Get healthier. Focus on longevity. Focus on ability, physical, mental, emotional, chemical health. So because everything has three dimensions, right? Mental and emotional is one dimension. Physical is one dimension. And biochemical is the other dimension. And we can dive into these three dimensions briefly if you want. But my advice to you right now is prepare. Get healthy. Get your family healthy. Get everybody healthy. The next virus isn't going to affect you. You're going to be the people who go, I'm already healthy. I had the virus. I didn't even have any symptoms. I was fine. I want that to be you. Well, you know, you're stirring the heck out of me, right? As you're talking, I'm like, yes, yes. And I'm sure our listeners are feeling the same way because your energy is so amazing. So I know that you're a consultant. How can we contact you? Two websites. One is drrashidian.com, just D-R-R-A-S-H-I-D-I-A-N.com. And that's personally about me and my books and speaking engagements and so on, consulting. The second one is called midatlanticclinic.com, all one word, midatlanticclinic.com. And that's my office. That's my practice website. And you'll get to learn about chiropractic and health and wellness. And then we have a YouTube channel called MACC, which stands for Mid-Atlantic Chiropractic Center Health, the word health. So the YouTube channel is called MACC Health. And we have close to 300 videos from how to set up your workstation because now you're working at home to what exercises you should be doing at your desk so your posture doesn't suffer or what you should be eating and how to sleep and all those things. There's some stories of our patients and so on there as well. So I'm sure you'd enjoy that. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Now, Amir, when you think of leadership today, What most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? I am not too concerned about much. I would say if I had to select something, I would say it's not the leaders I'm concerned about. It's more the followers. Who are you picking as your leader? You know, yeah, I'm a leader in my organization and my family, but I have leaders I follow. I have mentors that I look up to. I have role models that I want to be just like. Theoretically speaking, what if I was somebody who was following the celebrity who made the movie or music? Now, if I'm following them because they were successful because they worked hard and they're a good leader, that's different. But if all you care about is who got divorced from who and who had a child with who and who's having an affair on who, and those are the things you're following and looking at, then it's not going to be very easy for you to succeed and grow and become your own leader. So select your leader properly. What I'm hopeful about is that there are certain people who, through faith, because I believe faith makes you very strong. Faith in God, faith in yourself, faith in your abilities, faith in your innate potential to overcome illness, problems, diseases, challenges. There's a lot of those and they're stepping up to their greatness. There's a lot of YouTubers who are putting out really good, strong content on how to lead and they are being leaders and they're leading others and it's working very, very well. So the biggest thing is make sure you're searching for the right things and you're watching the right things and you're talking to the right people 
protect yourself. What goes in your head can change you, right? Just like the words we talked about. Mm-hmm. What goes in your eye, in your ear. I tell my children all the time, they go, Dad, why are you so worried about what movie I watch and what I see on the internet? Why do you have all these protection things, parental restrictions and all that? I said, because you know how I got hit in the head and I have a scar. I said, you see the scar? It's permanent. It's there. It's always going to be there, right? Things that go in your eyes or your ears can scar you on the inside. Mm-hmm. Those scars are permanent. The things I saw, I can never unsee. It's in there and they come back up and they will hit you. They will haunt you. They will affect you. Protect what goes in your mind and in your heart at all costs. Don't let just anything in. Wonderful advice. Now we have a new segment here where leaders ask questions. So I have a question and you're full of amazing stories. So this is a good one for you. (laughs) So Justin Miller He leads an organization, careforaids.org. So he has a question. Tell me about a failure that you've experienced as a leader and what did you learn from it? I heard a quote. I think Denzel Washington said this when he was doing a commencement speech at a university. He said, you guys are all graduating college students. So I have no doubt you have what it takes to succeed. What I worry about is, do you have what it takes to fail? Tell me. And so I think failure is incredible. We build on our failures. That's how we do well. So how do I pick one of them? Gosh, you know, the one thing that comes to mind is I have failed miserably at taking good care of my employees in the past. Stephen Covey says something very valuable. He said, treat your employees like volunteers because you can pay for the work of their back, but you can't pay for the loyalty of their heart. And you can pay for the work of their hands, but you can't pay for the creativity and ingenuity of their mind. Those things they volunteer. So treat everybody like a volunteer. And so I have failed at that in the past. I've had employees where I put too much pressure on them. I didn't give them enough praise. I didn't give them enough appreciation and love. You know, the team is everything. It's all about team chemistry. What I've learned, is one of the things I need to do as a leader on a daily basis, on a minute to minute basis, is check the temperature of my team, my team chemistry, and constantly work on improving that. Very, very important. And you do that by improving your own emotional state. You know, you mentioned, hey, you have a lot of energy. Yeah, you gotta have positive energy more now than before because now is when everybody's looking at you. So I've made that mistake in the past. Here's a failure of mine. When things would dip, like business would dip, or we'd have a problem in our business, I would act upset and worried and scared, and I would treat people wrong. And I would blame others. Hey, why aren't you doing your job? Why didn't you make your phone calls? Why didn't you follow up with this? Why didn't you finish that project? Everything is on me. So I've got to be at my game, and when I am, everyone will be there as well. So those are my failures. Listening to your failures and what you're doing now and who you're being now has certainly lifted me up. So thank you so much for sharing that. So as a listener of this podcast, what is a question that you would like future leadership guests to respond to? I want to know what you're doing as a leader to give recognition to the team members who are going above and beyond. What are you doing to show love and appreciation and gratitude to the people who are, quote unquote, breaking their backs to make your organization successful, to make your team better? Are you giving them what they deserve? Because what you don't appreciate will leave. So Mm -hmm. 
appreciate them. And as the same question, how are you encouraging your underperformers to step up to their greatness? What are you doing? Are you beating them down or are you showing them that, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to support you. You're capable of doing this. You can do it. You're going to be amazing. That's my question. I want to know what other leaders are doing to give recognition to their best performers and to give encouragement to their underperformers. That's a great question. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I would just say, because this is what I do, which is improve people's health. I want to tell you that look at everything in those three dimensions we talked about, which is physical, chemical, and emotional. Those three dimensions. So if you want to improve your health, improve it on all three dimensions. You can't just start exercising and expect to be healthy. You can't just start eating right and expect to be healthy. You've got to change your mental state and your emotional state. And so when you do all three, you will go to levels you did not think was possible, but you got to do all three simultaneously. So I'd love it if you would do that. And I'd love it if you'd contact me and let me know how you're doing with that. And I'd be happy to answer any other questions you might have. Well, Amir, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. That's a great way to close this. It's my pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.